0: All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Nice to be back. We are in Acts, and we're going to roll up our sleeves and get serious about studying Acts. We've had a few uh, excurses, excursi, is that it? I don't know how you make that plural, but now we're back to the verse-by-verse verse through Acts, and we're in Acts 14, 19-28. Actually, let me pray and set the stage for what's going on here, and then we'll go through the text. Dear Lord, thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Thank you for the word of God. Lord, help us to learn and grow and understand the nature of the gospel, the nature of our interaction with the hostile world around us. And may we be bold and believe and trust that your grace will keep us and help us grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now the context is the fact that Paul and Barnabas were preaching and some miracles happened, and the people thought that they were gods that had come down as men and were walking among them, and they wanted to set up a shrine and worship these guys, and they tore their robes And and in protest, and said, we are men of uh, like nature as you, and we preach the gospel that you should turn from these things, these vain things, and serve the living God. And then he talked about God as the creator of the universe. So we had an excursus where I went through a worldview grounded in Deuteronomy 32, 8, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, Job chapter 1 and so on and now we're done with that now we're back on the scene of history in Acts and so they wanted to worship them as gods but the fickle crowd suddenly turns on them and wants to stone them but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. So this shows the fickleness of the honor-shame culture of the ancient Near East. They go from wanting to set up shrines and worship these guys as if they were deities now wanting them dead. And so there was a hostile response. And some Jews who had rejected the gospel earlier from Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium came over and started a counter-riot. And now they stone Paul. So we might think, well, is this even believable? How could it change so drastically? As I have done the research for this, and I was gone last week, so I had some time before I was going to teach it. And I was thinking about it, and something happened in our current history in the Middle East that's very much like this. So I think it'll give us an illustration of how that happens, because in the, much of the Middle East, they still have an honor-shame situation that's based on tribes. And anytime somebody feels like they were dishonored, they start a riot or if they want to honor somebody they start a riot the other way to to try to make something good happen so after having done all this research and got ready for this something happened in Iran that really illustrates that this fickle honor shame situation is still going on in much of the Middle East and what happened was the Americans killed a guy remember his name Somebody knows their history better than I do. But anyhow, he was a terror mastermind. Soleimani? Okay, I got it. There it is. Well, what happened was there were riots against America. And they were honoring this guy and then attacking the American flag, burning it, and so on. You probably saw it in the news. Did you see it in the news? Yes. So there, here's the riot. Well, then, not that long later, something else happened. And maybe some of you can fill it in for me, because I'm trying to remember what exactly it was. But it went the other way, and they were having pro-Israel and American mm-hmm. mob. Remember, they showed pictures of, they had painted the Israel Israeli flag and American flag so people would walk on it in order to, Bring shame. See, they, that's everything, honor, shame. Well, then they were all the other way. And all these people came out against the Iranian government pro american Now, does anybody remember what caused that? Eric, do you remember? Who knows the history better than I do? It wasn't long ago. What really angered them was that shoot down
1: of the aircraft. They, they hit it with a surface to air missile. System, by oh, the way. that's right. Yeah. One of their own planes went down. Right. By the way, supplied by the
0: Soviet, or the, the Russians, and uh, anyway, longer well, story. But- well, I, the only point I'm bringing out is this. That shows how realistic this really is. Some people would look at these stories in action and think, that's crazy. It couldn't happen. But what they don't realize, it still does. They have a riot against America in one week and a couple of weeks later they're having one against their own country and they wouldn't step on the American flag. And so it seems to us to be totally irrational. But it's all based on honor shame. And so it's not that they thought that this terrorist was such a good guy, but when we killed him that shamed them. So they react. But then when they shot their own plane down That shamed them, so they react to that. So it's always about who's shamed. And if you want to read a good book that will help you understand the Gospels in an honor shame society, I recommend the writings of Kenneth Bailey. That helped me so much when I read Kenneth Bailey's book. If you read his book on the prodigal son, it will open your eyes to many, many things. Because the first century Judaism was an honor shame society who's honored who's shamed and when Jesus honored people that they considered shameful they were disgusted with him you see that going on in Luke and some of the feasts and what have you so that I thought was an apt illustration of what it looks like in an honor shame society By the way, Israel right now isn't exactly like that. They're more of a Western, rational society. But the various cultures around Israel are still in the honor shame mode, more tribal. So so here they come now to create a mob against them, before they had a mob for them. It still happens in the Middle East. Drag him out of the city said I thought he was dead. Now earlier, uh, Paul had preached repentance and uh, really common grace. In Acts 14, 16, and 17, it said in generations gone by, he permitted the nations to go their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with goodness. I have a new commentary on Axis, excellent, by Dr. Schnabel. Okay, so let me quote him. Quote, Luke does not indicate how much time elapsed between the enthusiastic response to the hearing of the lame man among the population, or the healing of the lame man among the population and their attack on Paul. The initiative to harass the missionaries comes not from the citizens of Lystra, but from Jews who lived in the city in Antioch and in Iconium. They have traveled to Lystra and won over, that is, convinced the crowds that the activities of Paul and Barnabas should not be tolerated. So, my statement is this they went from thinking Paul and Barnabas were gods to thinking that they were mortal scoundrels to be murdered. One extreme to the other, just like that. Oh, your gods are going to build a shrine. No, you're a dirty scoundrel. I'm going to kill you. You can see how unstable life would be in a world like that. It's becoming like that in America, isn't it? An awful lot of people in America are becoming viciously tribal. And they're willing to, to do some very evil things and create mob violence just based on some of these ideas they don't agree with. We've seen that on the news people put on black garb and black hood, and they go and they beat people and knock out windows, and it's mob. That's mob rule. That's somebody ruled by their emotions rather than by reason. You see that in America now, and it's not good. It's very, very pagan. So they had, some of the Jews had rejected the gospel. Others, by the way, had believed it, and we saw that earlier in Acts, but they were so antagonistic that they traveled to Lystra to stir up hostility against Paul. Now, this shouldn't surprise us as we've been reading Luke-Acts because earlier, Paul himself was a person like that. Paul himself was someone who had witnessed the stoning of Stephen and agreed with it, and was so hostile to the message that Stephen preached that even after Stephen's death, he marched off across Country breathing out threats of slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. So, Paul had been like that himself somebody looking for a mob against the Christians. But on his way to do it, he was confronted by the resurrected Christ and converted and then called to be an apostle. Now, I believe, I have this on my slide here, that Luke implies a miracle happened. He doesn't emphasize the miraculous nature of this. But they stoned him, dragged him out, and thought he was dead. He couldn't have been in too great a shape. okay? And then he just got up and went to the next city. So I think there's probably a good idea that there was a miracle going on there. I have something here from Dr. Tannehill, another great resource. Robert Tannehill, Narrative Unity of Luke X. Tannehill says, The opposition builds from Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas are cast out, to Iconium, where there is an attempt to stone them, to Lystra, where Paul is actually stoned. Some of the same opponents are behind these actions. Tannehill says they persist in their opposition until they think they've succeeded in ridding the area of Paul. The interest shown in the persecution of Paul and Barnabas in the sequence of three cities coming to a climax in an actual stoning indicates the importance of the theme for the narrator. That would be Luke. Paul's first missionary journey, like his missionary in Damascus, Jerusalem, shows fulfillment it says Tanny, hell of the Lord's prophecy of how much Paul must suffer for my name's sake. That's Luke 9 16. Paul and Barnabas conduct a successful mission, but persistent opponents are able to mobilize dangerous opposition and reach out beyond their cities. I think I have some. I bought all these slides. Lystra. Okay, this is just what it looks like now. In Lystra. If you ever uh, go to Israel, some people are leaving today actually to go. But if you're ever in the Middle East in these areas, in Turkey and Israel, wherever all these things happen, you can see why they stoned people. That was an easy way to launch an attack. Everywhere you look, there's stones. And a lot of them are kind of a nice size to grab on <laughs> the heat of the moment when you're mad at somebody. Here's these. Here's some of the cities that we're going to look at. Iconium, Lystra, and then Derby, where he's going to go. Here again, you see stones everywhere. This one says, Paul and Barnabas, be well, have walked along this major street in Pisidian Antioch. So that's t- today what it looks like in Pisidian Antioch, where Paul was. I keep showing you these things. And I have a good reason for it. So many people think religion is based on blind faith. And that religion has nothing to do with history or reality. It's just a mental concept. And that everybody gets to have their religion, whatever it is. And that we shouldn't expect religious claims to be subject to verification or falsification. Eric and I... Have consistently rejected that idea. And we believe uh, fully that the truth of the gospel and the historicity of the events describing the Bible are cold, sober truth and should be subject to verification or falsification. And the Bible asks that we verify. And Paul said, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is historical fact. So we believe these things really happened. And when you see the places and events, you look, and what do you see? Here they are. Here's the place. Here's where this happened. Here's where that happened. And so on. Here's a map from a different perspective. And uh, here you see Antioch near Pisidia, Iconium, Perga, Atalia, and then where they boarded a ship to go back to the other Antioch. Well, I'll go back to my slides here. So there's the historicity. Now, verses 21 and 22. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God must there is day a word used throughout Luke Acts to denote divine necessity. this is God's intention. this is God's intention. When Paul was called in Acts chapter nine, let me read this Acts 9:16 this is what Ananias said to Paul, this is the good Ananias by the way, when he was converted. Acts 9.16, for I will show him, this is what Jesus is saying, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Must, in Acts 9.16, is again day, delta, epsilon, iota, day. And it means that's what God's purpose requires. God's purpose requires that what he does is going to entail suffering. So notice that after the stoning and the riot and people trying to kill him, they're not deterred. They are so set on preaching the gospel, nothing wants to stop it. I think that's a a lesson for all of us. The one thing that we cannot allow to happen is to be deterred from the gospel because people don't like it. That's one of the reasons I'm so critical of the seeker-sensitive movement because the idea is to somehow erase this built-in antithetical relationship between the church and the world. And many popular preachers have suggested that we can make a version of Christianity that will be popular with everybody around us. Take off some of the rough edges. Get rid of the offensive material. Find common ground. By the way, I never just go on a trip. I, always, I got a sermon written while I was gone, and I read a heresy book <laughs> that I need to write an article about. I, I, I really shouldn't call it heresy, because the guy holds the basic gospel truths. But the book I was reading is all about making the church and the world kind of have all the same ideas. And so it's it's more about sociology than theology. And I, I heard this stuff in seminary. Study the culture. Study what's important to people. Go out and see what they look like, how they dress, what their priorities are. What your neighborhoods like and then you purposely design a church that'll look just like the world so that when people come and step into the church they don't see anything really change now their claim is well no we still have the gospel but if you look at the result in fact this guy When he he brackets a lot of scripture doesn't do a lot of exegesis this scripture this scripture this scripture but i noticed something suspicious when i was in the social gospel as an adolescent somehow the only verses they ever found were the ones that would fit with left-wing understanding of everything okay and so this guy was wanting to apply the old testament So that's good. We're going to take care of the widows and all that. It's good as far as it goes. But they don't notice all the verses about executing criminals. And all these verses they don't like, they never see them. They never notice them. They go through the red letters, and they find things that suit their fancy. But they don't notice the offensive things that Jesus said that people didn't like to hear. And so by taking out or just not mentioning the things that might cause offense to anybody and adding in ideas that seem to fit with the social gospel, looking at the world through rose-colored glasses, and everybody's good and everybody's nice, we just got to make our church attractive to to everybody and they'll want to be part of it, whether they're converted or not, That's what church growth theory is all about. It's sociology, it's not theology. So I'm reading this book while I'm down in Florida, driving me nuts. It reminded me of when I was in seminary and I was studying this sort of stuff. And our church, the church I was a pastor of at the time, was down in the inner city. And what happened to me day after day was attacks from vile criminals who hated me, they wanted me dead. They wanted to vandalize the church. They attacked. They harassed. They ran con schemes. They did everything to make it miserable to even want to be there. And so then I'm hearing, "Oh, everybody's so nice. We just sort of go out there and be nice. They're all going to love us. They're all going to like us." And I was in this class. And so I start telling stories about what my life was like. And that was what caused that guy to beat his head against the chalkboard. I said, this is impossible. Do you think these violent rapists, abusers, vandals, scoundrels, liars, uh, haters of mankind that are attacking us day after day are just going to be nice because I tell them to? Or... I said, if they, if they got what they wanted, remember you're supposed to find out what people are wanting and meet their felt needs? Well, I know what they wanted. They wanted me to have several suitcases full of $100 bills yeah. and give them to everybody. The problem is the $100 bills would run out in about 30 seconds because somebody would take the whole thing and ma- mash me over the head. And I'd say that, and then the, this instructor had no answer because this was all making... Christians in the suburbs feel guilty, and they well well there 's nice people out there we just got to find these nice people, yeah, come down in my neighborhood and find the nice people it doesn 't work that way yes uh eric
2: yeah i uh, I just you know when i I just underlined in my bible the uh that you know after Paul got stoned and all of this, it says that they had made many disciples, and so this is almost humorous when you compare this to the seeker-sensitive thing. Right. Okay. And so I like, think about this. Let's pretend that you're a, a, an unbeliever in in one of these cities. You know, oh, I want to be just like that guy. You know, he got stoned almost <laughs> to death. You yeah. Know, yeah. I think I think that I'll follow him. Right. Okay. So, to me, this proves that it is all about the Holy Spirit the, 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 the people, doctrine of election. In other words, there were people, despite all of the suffering and tribulation or whatever that they went through, there were people who the Holy Spirit Amen, spoke to them. And Amen. these apostles were faithful through it all, right? And that gives me encouragement to believe the gospel.
0: <laughs> I totally agree. And even in that worst area we were in, there were always some people who came to Christ and the ones that did would be our best friends they would do anything there's such a huge gap between the saved and the lost light and darkness and so on this papered over by these rose-colored glasses social theorists that they don't realize how evil evil really is maybe they're isolated from it i don't know how it is they, they get that way but people have to get saved out of that wicked culture and be taught the gospel, and they can be disciples no matter how bad they were. There's no sin so bad that God won't forgive it through the blood of Jesus. So the only message we have is repentance, faith, and the blood atonement. And they wanted me to go out there and say, our message is the good Lord is going to meet your felt needs. Well, everybody had the same felt need—free money and lots of it. <laughs> and I didn't have any money because we had a too big of a building we couldn't fix, and I was as poor as the people that wanted my money. But that's the way it is. So I'm reading this book. Oh, oh, this, oh, this is so. Oh, that was painful. <laughs> reading on the plane, reading outside, reading on the plane back. <laughs> Go, away from me, thou social gospel <laughs> preachers. <laughs> what does it say right here? Look at it. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Right. Just read it. Is that, oh, everybody's nice and wonderful, and they actually want to be a Christian, they just don't know it yet? What do they call them? Rick Warren and company, pre-Christians? Everybody's a pre-Christian. There's no narrow gate. There's no repentance. There's just a Christianized culture. That's all. Through many tribulations. What are the tribulations? The fact is that Jesus said they hated him, and so they're going to hate us. Jesus told Paul after his conversion that he would have to suffer many things for his sake. And we aren't promised friendship with the world. In fact, this guy's book I read doesn't know the verse friendship with the world is hostility to God. He never heard of that verse. And so it's it's really weird how people get pie in the sky, rose-colored glasses, everything's cool, everything's nice, and they don't see how sinful sin really is. And when you don't see how wicked sin is, you have less appreciation for the mercy of God that would save a horrible sinner like me. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve to be part of this. I don't deserve to be part of the family of God. But God, in his mercy, calls things that are not to himself. It makes us part of the family of God. So they just kept preaching the gospel, being attacked, and stone didn't stop them. And notice as they went from place to place, they strengthened the souls of the disciples. Here's another thing that's totally different than the church growth theory I was just reading. They don't think anybody's going to make it unless you, everything's about sociology. So you constantly have to analyze everything through the lens of sociology and figure out what kind of program you have so that when you plant a new church, you have a program to process people. And you get all these people, in and you process them, and you have a program for this and a program for that. And you have to learn all this stuff, and it's so mind-boggling. All the vagaries of social interactions, you have to turn into a science. And then you've got to identify what somebody's like and how you can plug them into this, plug them into that, and then it's all going to work. And I was thinking, I was at the same time working on this material for Acts. I'm reading this book. Well, what in the world was wrong with Paul that when he, after they founded a church, established elders, which they didn't have years to to train them, and and it says he commended them to the grace of God and went to the next city. And he came back, and he encouraged the souls of the disciples. They had more Faith in God's sovereign grace to, to build his church through truly converted people that, that God was going to do this. They didn't have a class on sociology. How are you going to have the one new man of Jews and Gentiles that are antithetical to each other if it's all based on sociology? That's another thing I thought when I'm reading this book. It's impossible but if you come to Christ that's exactly what you have it is true to this day you know it if you meet a born-again Christian anywhere you go anywhere you are you immediately have something in common and you rejoice do you think God is going to build his church yes yes I, think I know why
1: that book was so abhorrent to you is because it was about all about how to replace
0: the Holy Spirit. You're yeah, right. even though they would deny that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so... Well, yes, so, go so ahead.
1: Bob, one point is going to make um, that phrase through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's one of the favorite proof tests texts of post-tribulationalists. Now remember, what does a post-tribulationalist believe? They believe that the rapture occurs at the end of the seven years. And they scoff at us who believe that we're going to be raptured prior. And they'll cite Acts 14.22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The term tribulations there, philipsis, yeah. those are things, as Bob is mentioning, Pressure. that the world does to us because of their hatred of Christ. But in the 70th week of Daniel, there's a reversal where the same tribulation that came upon us because of the world, God is going to place upon the world. So there's a reversal. We're gonna be saved. And the evidence of that is found real quickly in Second Thessalonians 1 6. The same term is used, thalipsis. I'm gonna to have to get cheaters next time. They're cheap. Yeah. Second <laughs> Thessalonians 1 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. There's Thalipsis, same term for tribulations yeah. there and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as us. Now, when does this happen? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. So the 70th week of Daniel is a, rever- is a reversal of that time right. where they're going to be put under tribulation, but you're going to be saved. Amen. So
0: the flipsis means pressure, strong pressure. And any Christian is, experiences that pressure whether it's in a big scale or a small scale it may be with family it may be with extended family it may be at the workplace it may be anywhere a lot of people that contact me it happens to them at church they go and ask the pastor to preach the gospel and he becomes hostile toward them and if they persist they get kicked out of the church and the pastor gets all high and mighty. I have a vision from God and I must fulfill it. And what's this vision? To do church for the unchurched. Aha! Wordplay. Equivocation. They're using the term church in a different way than Jesus and his apostles did. They use it to mean an organization, generally with a building that has people that would join it whether or not they know Christ. The unchurched are people that don't go to church. The church are people that do. That's the two categories. That's not the biblical categories. The categories in the Bible are those who are converted and born of God and love Christ and those who are the enemies of the gospel. And they paper over all that. Oh, these are nice people just tilling their garden and mowing the lawn and they're not enemies of the gospel. You don't know that until you try to preach it to them. And so they want to remove the gospel of the church so that you don't notice that people are enemies. And I wouldn't go for it. I would not, when I was in those classes at seminary teaching all this, I resisted it. I corrected it from scripture and I told them my own story that, yeah, it's not easy, it's hard, I don't even know how we're going to survive. I've had my life threatened over and over again. There's no way I can give the people around this neighborhood what they want because they want free money, lots of it. And I don't have any money, and if I did, I wouldn't give it out for free to evildoers. Because their whole thing is designed for churches in the suburbs surrounded by nice people not violent criminals and so there I was I said I don't know how to do what you're saying I can't figure it out the only thing I can do is preach God's word and I'm going to do that every Sunday and I'm going to keep doing it if if somebody kills me then I'll be done doing that but I'm going to keep doing it oh okay so I think in God's providence we were down in a bad neighborhood to force me to see the fallacy of all that so Despite persecution, there were many who came to Christ. See, in the middle of the persecution, there's going to be somebody who sees all of that and comes to Christ. When Diane and I became Christian, the, the first of the summer we got married, we had a coffee house in Sheldon, Iowa, and we had some tracks that we had, and uh, to invite people to come and hear about Christ. So we went over to the corner. Right where the dentist's office was in the main corner, of there Sheldon and I were, they drove around in their cars. There were a bunch of young people sitting out there uh, trying to wait to see what was going to happen. So Diane and I went over there with these tracks, told these young men that we had a coffee house and they could come in and hear about Christ. They started ho- hooting and mocking us, they sang Rock of Ages in a mocking manner. And one of the people sitting there was my brother, Wayne. Okay, there he sat with, his, with these buddies. And who knows what's going to happen. So Wayne is looking at all these people, making fun of his brother. I don't know why Wayne would stick out for me, because I was never very nice <laughs> before I was a Christian. But uh, Wayne looked at the, us. Diane and I looked at him, looked at us, looked at him, And he thought, why are, you, why are you treating my brother like this? He got up followed us, he went down into the coffee house and became a Christian. Right there. His buddies sat out there. That was the end of them being his buddies. But he became part of the family of God. We don't know what God's going to do, but we better not give up the gospel. We certainly can't wilt because somebody doesn't like it. And uh, I would have never predicted that Wayne would have done that, but that's what he did. And he's still a wonderful Christian brother to this very day, many many decades later. So uh, Luke uses two present participles here, episteroi, and parakaleo, and that denotes continued teaching and exhortation. So he's teaching, and exhorting, and encouraging, and. That's what we've got to do. We've got to teach and exhort and encourage the disciples. When people come to church, they should be confronted with the truth of the word of God. And when we come to church, we should hear God's will, God's plan, how he's going to change our lives, what it looks like to be sanctified, what the gospel's all about, what it means to be part of the family of God, how important it is that we believe the promises of God and have an eternal perspective and how the world is hostile to Christ and the gospel and how we need to just live with the fact that we'll be persecuted and people will think there's something wrong with us. But we need to be faithful. And that's what they did. And a church persisted despite having all this church growth stuff not arising until the 20th century. So Paul and Barnabas had experienced persecution And preached the truth that tribulations were a necessary part of the process of entering the kingdom of God. They went right back into places that had proven themselves dangerous. They went right back and kept doing the same thing. Now they knew this because their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, had gone through the same thing. Luke acts. Shows continuity. Uh, could someone look up and read Luke nine twenty two? Luke nine twenty two. Kate, Nancy.
1: Saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third
0: day. Amen. Must there is day again. The Son of Man must suffer many things. Notice what happened. He must be rejected. Now remember, they had an honor shame society. Will you imagine the shame of being rejected by everybody important in Israel? he's rejected the elders chief priests the scribes everybody who had honor rejected Messiah and he was killed but raised on the third day so Jesus telling Paul that he must suffer many things is telling Paul that he's gonna walk in the footsteps of Jesus not that he can atone for somebody's sin but that he would also suffer. Here's one, Eric. Could you look this one up? Luke twenty four twenty six. Luke twenty four twenty six. This is another use of the word day for necessary.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And right after that, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things in the scriptures concerning himself
0: necessary there is day so it was necessary for Jesus to suffer don't be ashamed of the gospel don't be ashamed of your faith don't don't be ashamed, ashamed of being part of the family of God because frankly these early Christians that's all they had going for them everybody else had rejected them they were hated by their own families they were considered shameful just like Jesus was. But they had each other and they had the Lord. I don't know how that got lost. I guess I do know. The seeker movement, once they erased the line of demarcation between the church and the world, and have, instead of black and white, gray. Everything's gray. As we are looking at this whole scenario, let's all together turn to Luke 8. 11 through 15, Luke 8, 11 through 15. And there we will see a parable that will explain what actually happens in the book of Acts. Luke 8, I'll start reading with verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so they will not believe and be saved. Verse 13. Those on the rocky soil are those when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in a time of temptation fall away. That's you see that a lot. In forty-five years, I've seen it many, many times. I don't let it get me down too much. Try to get people back. But once they just fall away, they, it was just up here. You know, the true convert, you can't drag them away from the church. But there are some people that, hey, this is cool. I think I want to be a Christian. And they take off. They fall away. Verse 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with the worries and riches and pleasures of this life break no fruit to maturity that's why we keep saying believe the promises of God Christianity is not about giving you a smoother ride through this life than you would have had as just an ordinary person who wasn't a Christian sometimes Christians suffer more than other people Christians aren't immune from financial problems or sicknesses or sorrows or losing jobs we go through the same sorrows and tribulations that everybody else does but one thing we have are the promises of God and we have one another and we do pray for one another and I would not give up my relationship with God's people because I know they'll be for there for me no matter how bad it gets and we have each other and we believe God's promises the more I read as I read this book that I had on vacation you can't take out the eternal promises and turn Christianity into better living in this life that's what they're trying to do this is an eternal promise and we've got to believe what God said Hebrews 11 one more verse this is the one that's important verse 15 of Luke 8 but the seed In the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word and in an honest and good heart hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So when Paul and Barnabas went back to the churches previously founded by the work of the gospel and God's grace, found the ones who were bearing fruit with perseverance, and they strengthened those ones the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith and said through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom. The tribulations are standard for the kingdom of God. It's just the way it is. Don't give up. And you can see how that's counteracting the bad soils in Luke 8. Okay, Don't let the worries of this world choke out what God did in your life through the gospel. Now going to verse 23 and and when they had appointed elders for them in every church having prayed with fasting they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It's interesting. This word commended is a little different it's going to come up with a synonym here in a moment and it's also found in Acts 20 where Paul, when he was on his way to be persecuted in Jerusalem, commended the elders to the word of his grace in Acts 20 in in Ephesus. I think maybe we take it too lightly. You know what the modern sensibilities would say? That's inadequate. You can't just appoint elders, none of which have been a Christian for long, commend them to God's grace, they expect anything good will come of it. That would be what the church growth theorists would be saying. And if you point out this, they'd say, well, that was a special occasion. It was the church was new, and they had apostles, and so in that special occasion that kind of worked, but it won't now. I don't believe that. I hear from too many people all around the world who are surviving... Under persecution who trust God's grace and love the gospel and will do anything to find other Christians to be in fellowship with and God takes care of his church I have on my slide there is no world headquarters that will exercise authority over these churches that's the first thing we want to do nowadays We're going to get denominational headquarters, and they'll take care of this. Well, Rome had that idea long ago, called Vatican City. We've got world headquarters. We've got traditions. We've got pious people. We've got everything anybody could want, and we'll exercise authority. Well, how did that work? It didn't because the gospel was gone. But Protestants, so-called Protestants, seemingly think the same way. Whatever kind of group we're part of, we better get a world headquarters. And then we'll make sure whatever it is we have will go on for generations. I don't believe that is biblical. I think we need to take care of the people that God puts us with, preach the word, love the people, love the Lord, care for the flock, pray for one another, preach the gospel, and what providence brings in the future comes. We don't have to create an institution that's going to go on and on and on. Because I'll guarantee you that whatever it is that will become apostate, they always do. But it doesn't mean people won't be saved. It doesn't mean the truth won't be taught. A little group here, a home church there, a little bigger church over here. It's all part of Christian liberty. But what we're not at liberty to do is depart from the gospel. So I'm strongly against world headquarters. And in favor of the local church. And then I use this term on a podcast. I don't know if. It's workable. I'm trying to think of a term that would account for acts. Wherever they went, if they found disciples, they immediately had something in common with them. Even if they had heard the gospels through who knows whom. Paul would go somewhere, he'd find some disciples. Maybe the gospel would come through somebody else. You go here, you find some disciples. So I use the word translocal. I don't know if that's been poisoned. I looked it up on Google and it looks like it hasn't been used much. But it's acknowledging the reality that the church, those who know Christ, exists, and that those of us who are attached to the head, Jesus Christ, when we encounter disciples, we have a bond, and it's immediate, and a love for the truth and it's already real even for people we haven't even met yet i get emails people who watch our youtubes on critical issues and we start interacting and there's an immediate bond with people who love the gospel and even if they have all kinds of ideas that i probably wouldn't agree with if they love the truth i just say well here's what i believe and here's some here's an article here's a here's a podcast and you can search the scriptures and so on so that's the way it is. I don't think we need world headquarters. What unites the church is the teachings of the apostles who speak for Christ. And that is scripture alone. Scripture alone. Okay? So wherever there's a local church, God will raise up elders and they need to follow the pattern. Eric's been preaching that in First and Second Timothy. It's a lot of it's about elders. The Bible explains what elders look like and what they do and what they teach. Notice in Acts 20, 32, as we're running out of time here, Acts 20, 32. I'll read it if you want to turn to it. I, mean, I alluded to it earlier. And Paul, remember, he'd been told that he was going to be persecuted. They were urging him not to go to Jerusalem because a prophet from God said there's going to be a, Horrible riot and persecution there, which actually happened. So they were begging him not to go, and he said, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? He was gonna go. But notice Acts twenty thirty two, as he was leaving. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified what is the idea of give you the inheritance? What is that? What's the inheritance? The eternal promises, right? Through much tribulation you must enter the kingdom that will be part of the marriage supper of the Lamb, that will be part of the Bride of Christ, that all those glorious promises will be part of it. Paul was commending the Ephesian elders to the word of his grace and believed that God would care for them. Now later he was arrested and he was brought to Rome and he wrote the book of Ephesians from Rome. We're studying that as I've been preaching into the sermons here I've been going through Ephesians. So I think we see, dear saints, that the church isn't defined by church history, it's defined by scripture. I think, as I was reading this book on that I consider sociology I thought you know what's wrong it's just bad doctrine of what is providence in church history what's normative and what is it providence is God's ruling over all that happens the good and the evil we see that in Romans 8 and providence contains good and evil and so we get i studied church history a lot in seminary but what you find out from studying church history is that there's a lot of bad things that happened okay and but there's also some the truth there too you have to have the apostles teaching and the understanding of the church and the gospel and what's normative and what's binding and then study church history to see what was good and what was bad providence contains good and evil these people with the rose colored glasses are looking at church history as some process of ever growing kingdom in now with a few setbacks but we'll get back into it i got it i'd like to ask this guy does he think the hundred years war was a good idea They had 100 years of war to decide which version of Christendom was going to rule over what country. How about this? How about studying and seeing where are we told to rule over a country in the name of the church? Where do we get that idea? God sets up the rulers, and it's not our business. It's our business to pay taxes and obey the rulers. And here they are still teaching Christendom. I don't, I'm not convinced Christendom is a good idea. It's part of providence. It just is. It's easier for us if we live in a country that's Christianized. They don't think it's such a strange thing that we're Christian. But I'm wondering, in God's providence, that doesn't last long. Pretty soon they, f- they turn against us and turn against the gospel. So those, that's some thoughts I have because, ironically, reading a book with a whole different view of the church than I have, And at the same time studying this, so I'd have something to teach when I got back here. It was an interesting vacation. (laughs) Besides that, though, I ate some good fish. (laughs) All right, let's close a prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Help us to understand what you've said, what's important, what's true, and how we can uh, be commended to your grace and through many tribulations enter the kingdom. Be with Eric as he preaches to us, that we might hear the word of God clearly and forthrightly preached to us. In Jesus' name, amen.